Hello, and welcome to another great episode of Unstoppable Rise, a resource that helps motivated individuals press on towards the mark of self-actualization using a combination of old-school wisdom and new tactics to help achieve this end. My name is Sim, and today we're going to be talking about the curse of indulgence. Hello, brother, and welcome back. In today's episode, I'm going to be expanding on a concept that I may have gone into and touched on before. I know I have. And I know I've talked about it in different subtle ways in many things that I've written about. And I call this the curse of indulgence. A curse of indulgence. Now you may be asking or wondering, what the hell are you talking about? Well, funny you ask, because I'm about to get into it right now. So to start off, when it comes to life outcomes and life circumstances, you have billions of people on this planet living on a spectrum of resource allocation. On one hand, you have the extreme of hard scrabble poverty, where people are obviously lacking survival needs and access to basic needs such as food, water, healthcare, education, and things like that. Um, This is obviously seen in many third world countries or developing countries, but also in some cases in the first world as well. And on the other hand, you have the extreme of oversaturation in all sorts of luxuries and an almost, if not unlimited, access to any sort of material or emotional indulgence. And these are the people who grow up in wealth and privilege, being able to live life with a sort of blank check mentality where they don't have to worry about anything from a monetary or um, resource standpoint. While these extremes do exist, I believe that most people in the first world are not on any of these extremes. The cost of living has gone up in many places in the world, especially in America and places in Europe. However, it does not shut out people from being able to get their hands on basic resources. And while many people in first world society exist on the spectrum, I believe that many of the issues plaguing society tend to be of decadence and indulgence rather than a bare knuckle lack of resources. So that's what we're going to be discussing today. So you, yes, you, you live in the end result of thousands even millions of years of progress. We currently live in the safest and arguably best version of the world up until this point in time. Crime has decreased dramatically since the beginning of the modern era. Accessibility to different things such as information and resources has gone up in many places. More people have access to things like electricity and running water. We haven't had a massive global war in more than two generations. And extreme poverty, like I just talked about, may be on its way out completely in the next 50 to 100 years. So that's crazy. Uh, so the overall standard of life in the world has increased, especially in first world modern society, which is the topic at hand here. The standard of living is at an all-time high. So technology has shortened the gap dramatically from idea to implementation, allowing us to do more things faster, be more productive, and in general, just speed things up quickly. I can order something from Amazon or Walmart online and have it be at my doorstep within the day. 
So this may sound like a utopia, but obviously <laughs> we still have a lot of problems. A short list of these problems would be something like rising rates of anxiety and depression, the obesity epidemic, the opioid epidemic, extreme worker dissatisfaction and disengagement, prejudice, sexism, uh, and the list goes on and on and on and on uh, and creates all of these problems that we're working desperately to unravel. So to sum it up, uh, we have a lot of issues, but a lot of these issues also tend to be issues of the mind and from what I believe is having too much and not knowing what to do with it, aka first world problems. So that's where we begin. So when I was younger, much younger man, my primary, but not my only, but it wasn't my primary metric for how much I enjoyed life was how much enjoyment, pleasure, and satisfaction something could give me. Now, I wasn't a complete hedonist. I did have some hedonistic tendencies, and I did enter that mode of being for a short period of time, but my life philosophy was not exclusively centered around just absorbing pleasure and nothing else. I did have other benchmarks, such as achieving goals, developing competence, and how much I could help others, and charity was very, and still is, very important to me. But my primary one that supersede all of those that also lurked in the background was satisfaction. And you can probably relate to this. Think back to when you were a teenager or an adolescent. You were probably a bit self-centered and myopic, thinking that the world revolved around you. When bad things happened to you, you probably took it personally or you just thought about me, 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 and how much you can increase your standing in the world or in the eyes of others. And while I think this immature egocentrism naturally falls away, more or less, it was when I started working for real around 18, 19 that I realized, oh, pleasure is actually a really shitty metric to measure your life around. And it was at this point when I started to prioritize quality and giving value over self-interest. So I focused on what I could do for others and what I could contribute to others more so than what others could give to me. And I personally believe that Many people do get past this, but there are a significant number of people who just never do. And I think this is part of the natural maturation process, but there are many people and many guys who stay stuck in a state of quote-unquote extended adolescence uh, using this metric of pleasure as their primary measuring stick. Because let's be honest, if you measure your life by how much enjoyment you get from things, you're not going to get very far. Because most things that are valuable in life inherently just plain suck, especially the outright, but we do them anyway because the reward is greater than the initial dryness. So, for example, imagine that you've just accomplished a goal that's eluded you for so long and you finally achieve it after months or even years of hard work and effort. It just isn't the same type of enjoyment that you'd get going on vacation to the Bahamas, the, going on vacation to the Bahamas or going out to Vegas. It's different, obviously. It's like being a connoisseur of some type of food or some type of drink that you need to develop a palate for. Your emotional palate needs to be developed and sensitive to nuances in order to appreciate those things. Um, so yeah, that's what that's about. And if you can't remove pleasure and enjoyment as your primary motivation for life, then you're just like a child. That's what a child does. You can't motivate a child to do things unless there's some type of carrot at the end of the stick. And the process of growing from 
child into adolescence, into adulthood, is not needing that carrot to be at the end of the stick or even extending the carrot, the length of the carrot from the stick. So having longer term goals and delaying gratification. So if you look at all the problems that come from overindulgence, something like obesity, obese, uh, addiction to drugs or even sex, uh, even not being able to save money because you like spending it, it's pretty clear that there are symptoms of unrestricted access and the ability to say no. So if we can't say no, then what can we do? Well, it's my belief that people, especially men, thrive best in an environment of limitation and restriction. We just do better in that type of environment. And I think this um, environmental uh, restriction comes down to three things. Motivation, clarity, and expression. Those are the three things that um, will be guaranteed to you almost outright by restricting yourself in certain areas. So in an environment of lack, you're pretty much motivated to go get things. When you're forced to fight for your own survival in whatever way, you'll make sure to do anything to make sure that happens. And this mentality is called quote-unquote death ground, which I've written about before and which I'll link in the description to this episode. So this is why people from a developing country can come to a place like America or in a country in Europe or go to a place in Asia and prosper because they're so damn motivated because they've experienced that lack and they'll do anything that it takes to not experience that lack. So when you have less stuff in the way, the second, second point, it gives you clarity. I talked about this in the episode on minimalism. When there's less in the way, there's often more you can give. So think about the average household, at least in America. Half the shit in there doesn't even get used more than once a year, if that. And if you add that over millions of households, that's a lot of waste, a lot of money, most probably a lot of time that could be spent elsewhere. And the last one, I'd say expression. Expression is the most interesting. And this concept is known as quote-unquote gene expression. So if you take a look at human beings and where we came from, It was an environment with scarce resources. Opportunities for food and sex were just not around. So anytime we would have an opportunity to eat, we would eat and store the rest as fat. And anytime we saw sexual opportunities, our brain would light up like a Christmas tree. And obviously, neither of those are in short supply today. So it creates an environmental mismatch between what what we want and what we have. So this leads into the theory of gene expression or what is known as epigenetics. And epigenetics is an emerging science that studies how DNA DNA expresses itself in response to environmental cues. So obviously our DNA makes up our physical and biological nature, and that DNA can be quote-unquote read differently depending on what sequences are turned on or turned off. And if if you're a writer, you could probably relate to this. So think about a sentence in English. There's 26 letters in the English alphabet. All of them make words. Words make sentences. Sentences make paragraph. And if you change letters, words, and phrasing in those sentences, those sentences take on different meanings, which means the entire paragraph has a different context. So it's the same thing here. So knowing that certain sequences turn on or off over time becomes pretty obvious that what we do every day plays a large impact in our disposition and outlook on life. 
And the more I study something like obesity and try and understand why it's so pervasive and malignant in society, the more I realize that it's like a disease. It's a disease triggered by environmental factors like diet, yeah, but also rest, recovery, thinking patterns, and so much more. So looking at human health from this perspective, it's just incredibly obvious to me that something like easy access to something that seems beneficial on the surface could actually end up being life-destroying. So how does this relate to indulgence, the curse of indulgence? Well, it's been established that humans do better in an environment of slight limitation, if not um, almost outright limitation, where access to certain things are restricted. Therefore, you know, we should take steps to push our body into a slight state of uh, deprivation. That's also known as quote-unquote eustress. And eustress is known as beneficial stress. It's stepping out of comfortable homeostasis and experiencing low to moderate levels of stress that help the system, your physical, psychological, emotional system grow over time. So something like this would be running frequently for long distances, lifting weights, taking an ice bath or cold shower, uh, reading a book on a complex topic, or even meditating for long periods of time. So things like that. Anything that pushes your body out of your comfort zone, but not too far. And this relates to another concept in biology known as quote-unquote hormesis. And hormesis is the theory that a low dose of something that would be harmful to even kill an organism will make it stronger over time. So you expose the organism to a dose of something that's just below its threshold to receive it. An example of it like this would be something like sunlight or tanning in the sun to get vitamin D, low doses of psychedelics. Many places like uh, Johns Hopkins uh, University are testing the impact of psychedelic therapy to treat things like PTSD or other mental health disorders and also something like sauna. So obviously sitting in a heated room for a long time is uh, not the best thing you can do, but a sauna uh, when you time it, you obviously get a beneficial effect from it. So there's that. So things like these switch on genes that are beneficial to thriving and being physiologically healthy. Now, this all sounds great. This all sounds peachy. This all sounds amazing. But what's stopping people from doing these things? Well, there's a lot. First of all, changing to the style of living is a massive behavioral shift for a lot of people. And secondly, that behavioral shift may not even take place without scientific evidence backing it up. And there's a lot of people, too many I believe, who won't try something unless science definitely confirms it or denies it, which I think is quite sad because your own personal experience is also very valuable. And also the other thing about science and scientific discoveries is that um, they can also be tilted to lean one way. Uh, so you can have two different agencies or two different um, research labs do two different do the same study and then they come up with two different conclusions and even when they do come up with the same conclusion it's often a lag measure meaning that by the time the results have been published in a journal or an essay or what have you lots of years many years have gone by that somebody or a group of people could have benefited from these findings so science usually says hey we're experimenting with so-and-so and here are our preliminary findings they aren't conclusive but we'll come back uh, later with more information once we do more research. So a decade later, more information comes out, and the final study then comes out five years later. Sometimes it may, it may even be longer. So, for example, something like fasting. In the past, people wondered why you would intentionally starve yourself if you didn't need to. Um, so many years later, it's been shown that fasting has a lot of 
benefits, namely longevity. People who tend to eat less tend to live longer, which again is speaking to thriving in environments of restriction and limitation. Uh, intermittent fasting is a trend that is popping up even more so now. Uh, so going 16 hours without food or 20 hours without food and then eating a four to eight hour window, um, that's one of restriction. Another example, obviously meditation. In the 50s and 60s, more people were getting into meditation, namely transcendental meditation, and people were going to far off places like India to study with meditation teachers. Meanwhile, in mainstream society, people saw meditation as a waste of time and you know, pseudoscience. So come to find out 50 years later, uh, studies have been done and it says that meditation is actually very beneficial, not only for the brain, but also for the mind as well, which is (laughs) pretty duh, right? So that's why it's important to always try things out when you get a sense that it could possibly be good for you, especially when it comes to optimizing in the area of diet, sleep, nutrition, recovery, etc., uh, et cetera, et cetera. So um, experimental, uh, experiential knowledge will take you far, um, and that will, you know, help you out in the long run. So always keep that in mind. So wrapping up this discussion on indulgence, what are some key things to take away from this? Well, I would first understand that limitation is necessary in most, if not all, cases. And when you mention limitation, some people bristle, especially some of the younger guys. I know some younger guys listening to this will be like, well, I don't want any limits placed on me and blah, blah, blah. Um, But having this in your life is absolutely essential. So limitation and restriction is a hedge against addictive and compulsive behavior, which is pretty much almost the default in our modern world. Like if you look around, look, look how many people are addicted to so much stuff, smartphones, food, uh, drugs, sexual things. I mean, so many types of addictions and compulsions. If you do not have restrictions on your internet time, if you don't have restrictions on your spending, if you don't have restrictions on basic things, you'll just find your time, energy, and money wasted in areas of compulsivity, which offer pretty much no value to you. So, the rat on a wheel, just going round and round and round, doing nothing, going nowhere. Uh, that'll be your entire life if you fall to addiction and compulsion. Secondly, I think it's worth understanding how reward-motivated behavior works and looking into that. I've talked about this before, but dopamine is a neurotransmitter that's responsible for motivation. And in the modern world, there's just so many things that give you an inordinate dopamine response in proportion to their value. And the people who engineer these products know this. So for a small example, watching YouTube over reading a book. Um, Don't get me wrong, I love YouTube. I think YouTube is great. However, it can get to the point where you prefer YouTube over reading books with solid information on them. And you use YouTube as an outlet for entertainment and also eventually escaping deeper psychological issues. Uh, And also, the experience of actually reading a book has not been replicated on any of these new formats we have now. So if you choose to only consume your information uh, based on how stimulating and how engaging it is, you're going to be missing out on a lot of good stuff. Another example would be social media. I think social media is also great and it connects many people, but it's also possible for you to do that every day and virtually nothing else. I know a lot of people who... uh, are addicted to social media. Uh, they won't say. Some of them won't say they won't say they are, but 
uh, it's quite clear that the time they spend and their inability to even give it up for a week, it's clear that it's something that uh, has taken massive inroads into their lives. Um, so when you have an addiction or you have a compulsion and you don't address it, it eventually just integrates itself into your life and it becomes a quote unquote normal thing and you just sort of live with it and removing it becomes harder than starting it. Uh, and I think this is part of the thing that the later, uh, millennial and generation Z also suffer from because, you know, their formative years were molded by a world with social media and all this technology and especially a lot of, uh, addictive things that we have. So our world is a world of addiction and, uh, it's seen as the default for a lot of these people. Um, so myself personally, I did not grow up with social media. Uh, I only got into it into my later teens. And I think that obviously affected my development worldview to a certain extent. But uh, I don't think it was as pervasive as people who are growing up now. People are teenagers now and have access to a lot of things now. Um, obviously, they're going to have a different mindset. It's like uh, the telephone. I didn't grow up in a world without telephone. I'm pretty sure most people didn't. The telephone was always there. TV was always there. And I can't imagine a world without these things. So people growing up now can't imagine a world without social media. Um, but the thing is, social media compared to television and telephone, uh, it's a very complex ecosystem that uh, makes telephone and TV seem one dimensional. So there's that. Um, but if you want more information on this, I wrote an article on what is known as the quote-unquote dopamine, dopamine detox. Dopamine detox, which is growing in popularity, uh, interestingly enough, but not so interesting because people are realizing the effects that these things are having on them. So if you want more information on my perspective on the dopamine detox, uh, link will be in the description of this episode. Finally... I think it's worth setting up your environment to minimize indulgence and to maximize the impact certain things have on you, evenly, even to favorably influence you stress. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do, such as purposely setting a timer on how much you use the internet, all the way to doing an alternate day fasting protocol, uh, pretty much making your environment as hermetically sealed for achieving your goals and living the life you want to live as possible. But the main thing to be aware of is how everything in your life is impacting you and your achievements of certain goals or ideals you may have. Um, understanding goals and ideals is obviously beyond this topic, but it's always something to keep in mind. How is, you know, X thing or X activity helping me be a better person or is it keeping me away from being my ideal? And if it is, what can I do to bring more of it in my life if it's the former? And if it isn't the latter, what can I do to remove its presence from my life or decrease its presence in my life? So yeah, that about wraps up this discussion on indulgence. If you like this audio episode and want more content, head on over to www.unstoppablerise.com where I discuss topics at the corner of self-development, psychology, and productivity on the attempt to help you live a more fulfilled existence. So that's it for me. Until next time, stay vigilant and au revoir. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in and listening in. I truly appreciate your support and your attention. It means a lot. If you like this content, go ahead and like the content. Go ahead and share the content with at least two other people you think would benefit. It doesn't hurt to spread the good stuff around, right? And if you're listening in on iTunes, go ahead and rate the show 
with a honest rating. This will definitely help the show grow. And I truly appreciate your feedback. So until next time, stay good. Take care of yourself. Take care of other people. And peace.